This summer, the galaxy won't save itself, but the Geek Confidential podcast just might. By geekconfidential.com. Joining me today, as always, Dan Pierce. Welcome. How's it going? Pretty good. Ready to discuss some Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, you know it. And Drax's nipples? <laughs> oh. Oh, no. Uh, oh. Also joining me today, we have Dwayne and Casey Eckholm, who are returning to the podcast. I think the last time you guys were on together was for the Sherlock episode. Casey, I know that you dropped by for the Exploring Female Geekdom podcast, which was a wonderful episode. Dwayne, glad to have you back. Casey, welcome again. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into Guardians of the Galaxy, I just want to take a moment to congratulate you uh, for your Twitch stream, because as I understand it, uh, you had hit a milestone. You have 100 fo uh, followers on Twitch, which leads to some tie-ins with Twitch potentially. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. It's been an exciting six months, and uh, it's been it's been great. A lot of uh, people show, like you showing support, and that's that's why why I was able to get to where I'm at, and only going to go up from here, I imagine. Well, much more success. Um, to, I would uh, send your way. Let's talk a little bit about Guardians of the Galaxy. Everybody's favorite group of misfits are back for another. Film in the Marvel Universe, uh, Cinematic Universe. Dan, what was your first re reaction to this film? It was it was such a breath of fresh air, like walking in, already caring about every character and just having a fun space battle, space adventure, just going at it. It, it, we already knew the dynamics. We already knew, like, that there was something going on between Peter and uh, Gamora. Like, we already knew that Baby Groot was going to be adorable and everyone was going to love Baby Groot. We already knew that Drax doesn't understand metaphoric language or – and he's very blunt. Um, just all of these different aspects – we didn't we didn't need to establish anything. We could just go, you could tell a story, you can like take us on this wild adventure where, you know, you're exploring Peter's heritage and like there's tie-ins to Earth, but not too many, so that way it doesn't alienate people that are like, No, I'm just here because it's space. Um, no, it's it was so good. It was I thought it was better than the original, but there are a lot of people that would disagree with that. Okay. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. Casey, better than the original, or and what was your uh, reaction to it? That's funny, because you asked me yesterday, and I said, I'm not going to tell you until we're on the podcast. See, I'm not um, afraid to have the same discussion twice, but that may be after years of podcasting, when podcasting recordings don't always work out. I have to have the same discussion twice. Understandable. Um, so I will say that I really did enjoy the first one um, more. Um, not 
that the second one had any issues with it. Um, I just really enjoyed um, the first one where I didn't know what I was getting into and I got the whole story for the first time where I found this one very refreshing for a lot of the same reasons Dan did. I didn't have to be introduced to these characters. I already cared for them. Um, for my birthday, a friend of mine actually created a small baby Groot for me. Oh, nice. And so I have a little baby Groot at my desk at work. And so I was really excited. We had actually just rewatched the first one with my parents last week. Um, so it was really good because we had that little bit of a refresher. We kind of refell in love with the characters. And then we got to see the second one where we have another galaxy saving adventure. And then we also kind of find out what makes Quill so special, which was really good and exciting. Um, and I really enjoyed ego and the land or the planet that he had his his planetary manifestation of him of his celestial being uh Dwayne, what were your reactions to it so i i liked the film it was really great but i think it was going to be really hard for it to top the first one for me okay and and be, because uh kind of what what casey alluded to that there was there's just so much uh, I didn't know about these characters going into the first film, and uh, it was it, it it just took me off guard how much I liked the first film. There were still a lot of really great things about this this one. I mean, just even from the opening credits, seeing Baby Groot dance around to the music while they're fighting this giant space beast was I, I mean, you just you're suddenly just right back into it and it was it was really fun and it, it i i like how this this group doesn't take itself as seriously as some other superhero sort of stories and 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 superheroes do and and it just it had that same feel it just wasn't quite a a feel as good as the first one, but it, it was still a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I really liked Kurt Russell in this film. Uh, he, he by far outside of Chris Pratt being just awesome as star Lord, Kurt Russell just made the film for me. Okay. I also enjoyed this film a lot. I think that it's probably the best second, um, sequ or it's the best sequel uh, for a franchise in the DC, the Marvel universe, uh, and by the and by that I mean, like I really loved Iron Man one, but Iron Man two wasn't as good. I wouldn't necessarily put it up there. If you start going through the other movies, the the sequels are enjoyable. They're a lot of fun, but a lot of times they don't measure up to the first. This one for me was almost as close as the first. But I like um, Casey and Dwayne. You said the introduction to the characters being able to see their origin stories i'm a sucker for an origin story so i really enjoyed the first one but this movie came back with everything that the first one had it had the chemistry of the cast it had the humor it had the soundtrack it amplified the action scenes baby groot was adorable though i've seen some complaints online about there being too much baby groot i'm not sure if i agree with that but i really enjoyed it i I, I was walking out of it, and we'll talk about this a little bit more at the end of the podcast about where this film would rank for you. But I'm like, uh, when I was talking to a friend, I was like, hmm, this is going to be tough because you have the original Guardians of the Galaxy, you have Doctor Strange, you have Captain America Civil War, there's a couple others in there. It's like, where is this going to fall in my ranking? 
So we'll um, we'll get to that a bit later. Let's talk a little bit about the story. Uh, the the film opens with the Guardians defending batteries from alien that wants them for the sovereigns, and they're doing it. We find out to get in payment Nebula or Gamora is going to get Nebula. They, it, it's a great action sequence. We start the we start the film with lots of the jokes. Groot is dancing. We have um, a comment about the fact that like Peter or Gamora asks uh, Drax why he isn't wearing the suit that he is, and Drax goes because they, my nipples are tender and they hurt my nipples. And then it basically goes through the rest. And then Drax, of course, is like, "I need to stab him from the inside," which is something that we've already seen in the trailer. But even though we've seen it in the trailer, it was still so, it was still fun to see it in the full context, especially when after Gamora actually kills the thing, he comes out of the beast and thinks that he has done it. Dan, what did you think of the opening story and the introduction of the Sovereigns? I thought it was really cool. Uh, I I like the idea that the Guardians are kind of being used as, as guns for hire uh, to steal things or protect things. Uh, it's got this Firefly feel to it. Yes. That just, it, it's so... I. I Maybe it's just the brown coat in me, but I really miss that element of storytelling. Um, but I, you know, it's just it, it's really cool. Dwayne, um, they beat back the beast. They get the reward for, um, by having Nebula turned over to them. But Rocket goes and steals some of the batteries from himself because he wants to make a profit on it. And as they're leaving, they're being hunted by drones that the operators of the drones are basically back in like an arcade suite. And it's it was an interesting way to do an army, but they're being chased by them because they want the batteries back because Rocket stole the ones that they were supposed to be protecting. What did you think of ha- that element in the very... It was sort of like a like a old gaming uh, pinball type vibe to it even though you had these people on their motorcycle quote-unquote seats that's kind of the start of all the real cool special effects in the film i mean they were going through the, there was the the giant fight sequence and then they're doing the uh the the flight sequence through an asteroid belt as well and arguing over who should be the one you know piloting the the, the ship during this whole thing. And it just, it was really, when you think of like this really sophisticated nation, like the, like the sovereigns, I, I guess seeing uh remote, remote drones uh, fighting the fighting in battles. I think that that makes perfect sense. And it was just, it was, it was interesting to see. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I liked the, I liked the whole sequence. It was cool. Casey, the, uh, the Guardians made it through the asteroid belt only to find themselves surrounded by the the drones because they went over or under the belt. And they're basically trapped, and then all of a sudden, all the entire drone army dies, and out the side of the ship, they see someone floating by on what could might be called a white egg? Uh, what did you think of how Kurt Russell's character Ego was introduced in those scenes? Uh, the one inch man. Yeah. Yes, the one inch um, so, man. <laughs> um, so I 
found that to be kind of very fitting for what he ended up being, or at least how he first presented himself to everyone. He's this savior. He is this very, you know, he's the good guy. And that's kind of what he wanted to give to them, especially flying in on the white egg. Um, it's very clean. It's like, it looks like somebody who's like the, on the good side. Right. And yep. you often see that um, with shows and movies where, you know, the good clean looking, those are the people that are usually the good people where then you have like kind of dirty ones, like the Ravengers, um, you know, here in the Guardians of the Galaxy, they're kind of the bad guys. Um, so you kind of get this whole feeling like, look, he saved them and he's just this good guy. And then you find out, you know, oh, hey, oh, my gosh, he's, you know, uh, Quill's father. And it just kind of starts this like really exciting storyline where, you know, it's probably not going to work out because nothing does for Quill kind of is always on the crappy end of of stuff. But you you are kind of getting started on this this fun story, and I think him just coming just riding his egg like it's a pony or whatever I think is just just kind of fits into the stories that they try to tell with Guardians. Well, um, so the Guardians because they've been um, because their ship has been damaged by the Sovereigns, they crash onto a planet. Uh, Ego lands and. We get to uh, Star Lord finally gets to meet his father for the first time, but he doesn't know exactly what to think. But Ego wants him to return to his home planet, but they, not everybody goes along. Rocket and Groob and Nebula stay behind, and Drax, Star Lord, and Gamora go with Ego to this planet. And the cinem cinematography in this film was fantastic. The visuals for the planet of like Ego Planet were amazing um we get there and we get the explanation because in the comics ego is a character that is actually a planet and so when it when they first cast kurt russell in the role people were like okay how do you bring these two together but they actually provided a logical explanation in the form of the fact that as a celestial he was an essence that built and created the planet over millennia and he and they they, I thought they explained it well for their purposes. But we get there. It's a very beautiful planet. We got to see a form of like flashbacks in a way to um, Ego with Star-Lord's mother, with Quill's mother. Those were nice. Gamora likes the place. We're introduced to Mantis, who Mantis is a character that helps Ego rest and sleep. And she has the ability to c control his emotions or help him find peace in various instances what casey what'd you think of the introduction of mantis as this new character um what did you think of the planet and what did you think of how the father-son dynamic worked i really liked the when they played catch with the like energy orb yeah so i'll start with the planet uh the planet was beautiful i it was so it was like, can we just keep this? Because I had a feeling that bad things were going to happen. And, and I was like, it's so pretty. It's just, 
just beautiful and very lush and just feels very serene, which is obvious because nobody else lives there and humans are destroying this planet. But because there aren't any humans on that planet, it's totally fine, right? Um, So I really enjoyed that. Like you said, the cinematography was just amazing and beautiful. Um, So Mantis, I found her a bit annoying. Um, I felt like she was a character that was that we kind of already had this kind of weird, didn't really understand like human interaction or just interaction in general, because she had only been with ego. Um, Cause we, I feel like we have that with Drax. Um, she did kind of grow on me a little bit as she kind of started to do some things. Um, I did like that. She was an empath. Um, I, I felt that that was an interesting aspect, especially because we, you know, get a that whole funny part with where she kind of tells about Quill's feelings for Gamora, which of course we already all know and Drax just find that so funny. Um, So I really, I I did enjoy that part, but I didn't love her as a character. We'll see how volume three goes in regards to that. The interaction between Quill and Ego kind of starting to build this father son bond um, was really good because you, you slowly see Quill starting to react to, oh my gosh, I might actually know my father. And they had already told that story about him and, and um, the Hoff and how he thought he told people that that was his father and that he just wanted to play catch, which we often hear as a son's perspective on having a father around. That's not something that they want. So then he got that. So it was kind of like, oh, that's really cute. Um, but <laughs> um, I thought so. I thought that was good, even though, again, you know, something bad is going to happen because Quill always gets the short end of the stick. I hadn't really quite thought of the Mantis thing quite the way you put it. I guess when I was when I was watching the film, I sort of had the Fraser Crane effect to it, and by that I mean when you watch Cheers, Fraser is the uptight person, and he provides an element to Cheers that is very important and you really enjoy. Well, when you get Fraser the spinoff, you wonder how are you going to out Fraser Fraser. And they did that by introducing Niles, who is even more eccentric than Frasier. And so when I was watching it, what I felt was that Mantis is sort of like where Drax Drax was in the first film. And Drax is trying to mature or his evolution is taking place because even though he's still very literal and as a very literal person myself, I understand that some of what he goes through, but as a very literal person, he's making efforts to like improve himself and in those efforts even though they're failing dramatically they've introduced mantis who has is sort of back where he was and so that's sort of how i looked at that dynamic um duane what did you think of kurt russell the planet mantis what'd you think well, as I, as I started before, I think Kurt Russell was an absolute perfect cast for, for Ego. I, I'm not familiar enough with the comics to know that how how the character in the movie differs from the character or the planet in the comic book. But I just there's I've always liked Kurt Russell in all in a lot of roles, you know, and in a lot of movies where. I, I don't know that I necessarily would have watched the movie if it was cast with anybody else as the as the actor. He's just very charismatic and and just has a presence on screen that I like. And I 
I think that uh, it 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 works really well with Chris Pratt and, and so seeing, seeing him and seeing the, the, the planet and finding out, you know, his backstory, it just, it, it, it was so interesting and, and visually it was just an overload that planet with all the kind of weird things. It was just kind of a sensory overload almost. And I, I really, liked how how they kind of explained things that in a way that 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 like you said if you didn't if you didn't have any backstory on what what or who ego is it may it made perfect sense it was also really weird seeing a a younger version of him back in See, the 80s this came out on my birthday and so i went to this with some friends we had a dinner and then went to the movie mm-hmm. and one of the friends was like how did they get kurt russell's face to look so young and i said I said they Princess Leia or mm-hmm. it, it was it was it, a little weird, but I mean it was also it, pretty interesting. Too. It was. I was like they basically Carrie Fishered her is yes. him, I should say. But it yeah. didn't quite. It wasn't quite as jarring. Maybe because of the hair. Dan, <laughs> does that hair need its own contract? I mean that hair has got multiple interviews. Conan O'Brien went on a long tirade about the hair uh, when he was interviewing Kurt Russell about it. It was all really interesting, but it wasn't surprising that they would bring like a younger version of Kurt Russell back because they did the same thing with Robert Downey Jr. But as far as like ego as like a character, I kind of really enjoyed like the behind the scenes um, that like politics that went into creating ego because He's the reason why uh, Deadpool got uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Because they did the exchange. Yeah, they did a trade because Ego is a X-Men character uh, who occasionally appears in Thor. Um, and, and I think he was introduced in, wasn't he also a Fantastic Four character, if I'm not mistaken? Which that's I, another I think... one that Fox owns the rights to. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it's kind of all of that jack kirby psychedelic 1970s comics and stuff like that i remember ego um in x-men the animated series in the 90s they they introduced him as a character um but as far as like kurt russell he he always brings it i mean for him within like the span of like two to three weeks he's got two top movies i mean you can't lose with that well and so does vin diesel Oh, yeah, Vin Diesel, which, by the way, the fact that he doesn't have to pitch up his voice that much to do Baby Groot is fantastic. Um, Entertainment Tonight and uh, Cameron Matheson sat down with him and he was doing all sorts of cartoon type voices and was just really excited to be able to bring his kids to a movie because they can't go to Riddick and they can't go to the Fast movies. The Witch Hunter Oh, yeah, no, Witch Hunter is not happening. He hasn't brought his kids to a movie since The Pacifier. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, go figure. Um, but in terms of, like, Guardian stuff, yeah, no, Ego's Planet, fantastic. They, the animation and stuff that went into it is great. I I don't mind Mantis. I think we need to see Mantis interact with more characters than just Drax. 
Um, like I, I need to see some extended time between Mantis and Rocket to really like fully get an opinion on whether or not Mantis can stay. Okay. Well, it's, it's kind of the, the same thing with Nebula because Nebula for a while there was kind of isolated and islanded to either Gamora. I mean, we finally got to see her with Rocket and Groot, but Groot is still hampered by being a baby. Thank you and, for setting up the perfect segue, because that's where I was headed next. Back on the planet, we have Groot, Nebula, and Rocket. Rocket gets some badass scenes where he gets to take on the Ravagers by himself with a whole bunch of gadgets, which is awesome. Groot ends up freeing Nebula, and she gets to watch as a mutiny takes place because Yondu doesn't want to actually go after and capture Quill. He wants to take the bat like the batteries and double cross uh, the sovereigns. Casey, what'd you think of how that played out? Um, I think that that little scene with rocket with all the gadgets and everything was just perfect. I really feel that that's something that rocket has to have a part doing. And, and there's a little bit of it a little bit later, but this is where him as this little engineer, cause that's really what he is. Is he's an engineer. He puts all these little things together, definitely a kind of a tinker. Um, and this was just wonderful because I remember seeing it the beginning of the scene and I'm like, Oh my gosh, really? They just, they just were able to get there and they were going to attack him right on the ship. And I was like, this just seems, Oh, he was prepared. Oh my gosh. He's singing from like the trees. I thought it was like amazing. Um, and then I was kind of shocked that, um, Nebula was released by Groot, but I, we have seen already in the show that, um, Root doesn't always think things through or understand his consequences. Um, but I think that that was, was good for them to kind of move forward. I think that with Nebula being released actually ended up saving them. Um, and they ended up only getting uh, captured instead of actually killed or anything like that. Um, so I was shocked that the mutiny happened as quickly as it did. Um, but we kind of saw it during that scene um, when they were at the other planet um, with the it, weird yellow women. <laughs> and, um, and, and so we kind of started seeing the starts of it, um, but I felt like it did happen quite quickly. Um, but I think that it was a good starting point for the next kind of, you know, this is the new crisis going on, which is getting them out and getting the group back together. And back on that planet was where we've got our first cameo by Sylvester Stallone as Takar, which was great. I, I'm like, if I get to see Sylvester Stallone in Expendables meets the MCU, I will be a very happy person. But we will come back to him because he's in the final credits as well. Uh, Dan mentioned Nebula earlier. Yes. And I have I, I have a really hard time with Nebula. Because she is such a scenery chewer. I liked Karen Gillan on Doctor Who. Yeah. But in this universe, in the first film and in this film, she really walks a fine line. Because there's some times where it's just like she's chewing up so much scenery, I'm worried the galaxy is going to be eaten alive. 
And then there's other times where they gave her some moments with Gamora that pulled her back. But until we got to those moments, I was like, tone it down. Tone it down. It's it's almost as if, like, and, and this is a thing in writing, where you want to write a character that's mysterious. So you try and give her, like, give them dialogue that, like... It, it tries to put emotional distance between them and the characters, but sometimes when they do talk, it comes off as scenery chewing or um, or when you try and give them emotional moments, it it keeps the the reader or the audience conflicted in that respect. Um, in terms of I, I've always liked Nebula, Nebula, like, has her scenery chewing moments at times, but I feel as though she was a little bit more reined in, uh, in this film, uh, in comparison to the previous one. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see where they take her moving forward. It was really cool seeing her kind of controlling aspects of the ravagers in terms of inspiring the mutiny and kind of facilitating uh just the way they went about uh throwing people overboard and kind of out into the blackness of space and just but then at the same time she also she also protected the people who she knew had a connection yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I think she figured her her end goal at that point is Gamora. Gamora is the only aspect of that she cares about. If she were to hurt any of the the characters that Gamora cares about, well, she's not she would be facing Gamora, but Gamora would be kind of handicapped in a way. Mm. And I think she wants the fair fight that she's been uh, kind of wanting her whole life that Thanos just uh, – the way that those two girls were raised, it's just – it's so messed up. Absolutely. Um, I really liked kind of those emotional touches. And later on when we get to see the fight scene between uh, Nebula and Gamora uh, in the caves – and even with Nebula just angry shooting uh, inside of a spaceship while Gamora runs away, that was just great. That was awesome. <laughs> Dwayne, um, I want to talk to you about another moment in the Ravager Seeds where it was really cute. We once again got to see the humor. Rocket and Yondu are locked up. Groot has been beat up by the Ravagers and is down on feeling down on his luck. Uh, Rocket and uh, Yondu come up with a plan to escape, but uh, they need Groot to help them. And he has to go find Yondu's fin. And it doesn't go so well, but it provides great <laughs> comedy. What did you think it, of that? And what did you think of how they escaped the ship? It, oh, it was, it was so, it was, it was very cute. I mean, they were, See, seeing what happened to Groot before before that scene and seeing him getting doused with with like beer or something and being kicked around and kind of being used as a plaything and then and then to see him like 
perk up as he tries to help the the group but doesn't understand what it is they're they're looking for it was it it was just it was it was one of those kind of just uh take a break and catch your breath sort of moments because something big is probably going to be happening shortly and uh you know talking talking about the hat he doesn't know where the hat ends and the head begins i mean it was just it was just so cute and uh and then you, 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 you hear uh, Craglin, who is Yandu's kind of first, first man or something. Uh, you know, he's the one that spoke up and kind of started the, uh, the, the mutiny. And then he's the one that kind of helps come to the to the rescue to 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 give ultimately give. Uh, Yandu, the fin that he was looking for, so that they could escape. Uh, it was, it was, it was. I think perfectly well done for all the characters, and and really set up a a fun ach- action sequence when uh, Yandu gets the fin, and then they they start uh, working towards an escape. And the visuals of the arrow going through yes. the Ravager ship were fantastic. Yes. Which then brings us to Nebula who has found the ego planet amazingly she immediately spots gamora who's sitting on and this was one of the things that sort of pulled me out of this film from a cinematic standpoint when you when we're first introduced to ego it's this very lush planet that's covered in foliage and all this other stuff and so you don't really get a vibe of it being a barren red possibly desert but then all of a sudden gamora has went a little bit out from where the castle is and is now sitting on what appears to be something in a utah desert that threw me off a little bit i don't know why there was quite that much of a differentiation maybe i'm the only one who thought that but nebula spots her coming out of space just right there targets her somehow and goes after her casey when nebula finally catches up with gamora the two have what may be one of the better moments in terms of sisterly moments what did you think of um that and their discovery of this the bones so i will say that i also had an issue that she jumps out of the portal or the space jump and instantly finds gamora just sitting there contemplating trying to get a hold of rocket and them i did find that really odd and then they just happen upon you know this cave that happens to have information to move the storyline forward but um other than all of that um i totally luck that that happened totally luck always lucky these guys imagine these caverns being so close to the palace that would never happen in a comic book movie. <laughs> never, ever. <laughs> that, you know, she could just walk there. Um, so a couple things. Um, I had an issue that Grimora would run and then she'd stop to catch her breath and then be able to run at like full speed again. If you're running for your life, you're not going to stop. But that's me. Um, secondly, I, I don't have a, I don't have siblings. So I feel like I sometimes don't always understand the the sibling rivalry issue. Um, But I always find it weird that like they're just trying to kill each other all the time. 
And then she has this, so Grimora in the cave gets this huge gun. Well, first, Grimora runs faster than a spaceship flies. What? Anyways. A, a spaceship <laughs> that flies in a cave. So. Well, when they were like running across the, the mm. there before they get to the cave, Grimora is on the ground running after she's jumped off that cliff. And then Nebula is flying the spaceship across and still can't catch up with her. But then Grimora in the cave gets the gun and is able to just twist wires and pick up this big, huge gun and fire it. Okay. Um, it's a it's a spaceship. We do not spaceship ask questions. <laughs> Obviously she stole that from the rock in the fast and the furious movies. We do not ask questions about this. <laughs> so then, then also they're like, what? 200 yards maybe away from each other with the gun and the ship and Grimora still can't like target her. Okay. And then they, then she saves her from the ship that she just fired on to explode. Then they well, start to fight, but then really don't fight. We, we get about two seconds of fighting. I thank God they didn't pull hair. Cause I would have been really pissed as a woman to be like, really? You're gonna. And then, then they're like, oh, just kidding. I just want us to be friends because you always have to win, which I felt was a really weird explanation for Nebula, especially because right before that, when she gets the ship, she explains in this amazing detail of what she's going to do to Thanos and Grimora about what they did to her for her whole life. And then she tries to explain it to Grimora and it's like, I'm all just I mad wanted was a sister. Yeah. Okay. And then I almost missed it that they are like, oh, here's this weird other light lit up cave ending with all these bones. I will say that's probably the one part of the movie that I was like, what the just happened? Like, I felt like all of that could have just almost been scrapped because it didn't fit in with the rest of it. But... That's my take on it. Every once in a while in a Marvel movie, you'll find where, like, they'll have a sequence, like, that just doesn't feel like it belongs in this movie. Like, for Avengers 2, it was just Thor walking around that in the water. Um, just something about these movies, just, they, they can't quite get it right. But when... You're right when they, like, suddenly became best friends after all of that fighting and shooting and blowing things up and the fire and all that stuff. But I have I, I have a theory. I think their mother's name was Martha. <laughs> That's the only explanation that I could possibly come up with. Um, okay. Uh, do you guys get that one? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> No, <laughs> he's referring to Batman versus Superman, where both Batman and Superman's mothers are named Martha. Oh, they, I haven't watched that one. You yeah. Don't don't. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> but movie. but in the Batman versus Superman film, it's almost pathetic that like these two guys go to battle. These two mega powerful characters go to battle and then they make up because or they don't follow through because their mother's names are both Martha. It's pathetic. Uh, I, re I remember hearing about that. I, ha I haven't seen the movie either, but I remember hearing about that and thinking, what the... 
I love that, Dan. Great, great connection. If if yeah. I will not be one bit surprised if their mother is Martha because they haven't actually named her, right? I, I suppose since they both come from different planets, maybe Thanos needs to have his own wife who was their mother. I don't know. I also think, like, I, I could be wrong. But I want to say in the first movie, they're both adopted. So Yeah, like, that's what I meant. The, the Thanos' wife would have to be their adopted mother named Martha. Yeah, like... Uh, or maybe, I guess, I suppose on the other way, if both of their previous mothers before he adopts her, them could have been Martha. Either way, like, at least we didn't spend two hours watching them fight and then Martha happens. Because I don't know if I could take that in another film. Okay, so we basically get to, we, we're back on Ego, everybody except for, well, okay, everybody except for Rocket, Yondu, and Groot are on the planet. Everybody except for Quill has basically learned that Ego is going to try and kill him. Part of wh- how we learn that in the explanation from, uh, I believe it was Yondu's standpoint, was that uh, Ego was a bit of a man whore and went all over the galaxy having sex, trying to get other uh, children, have multiple children that would then become Celestials themselves, but none of them worked, and all the skulls and bones that we found in this cave were his dead children that he brought back because he wanted to um, have someone else help provide the power necessary to basically destroy the galaxy which is what he's his plan would be on every one of these planets where he goes and has intercourse with uh, a race he has left this seed that he hopes will one day grow and it ends up will that will destroy that planet and literally luke, the luke, magic stick that you always talk about luke at yeah the, yeah with the awards <laughs> so I have to tell you that in all honesty, this just hearing you explain this plot, it now seems completely ridiculous. It's Guardians it of the seem, Galaxy. Suppo- it, it, it's supposed to be. It, it, yes, he's reshaping the galaxy, but no, it just the the going around and he's pro- planting procreating seeds, procreating and, with and, races. Yes, and, I mean it. It didn't seem this ridiculous while I'm watching the movie, but hearing you explain the plot now, it's like, oh my god! Well, this maybe is my so explanation ridiculous. is just bad. I don't know. I think that I'm being fairly it's accurate not, on it, but it's it's not inaccurate. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. You know, what's, you know what's weird about this whole thing? This is the second Chris Pratt movie I've seen with that type of plot. Like, he was also in uh, The Delivery Man, where, like, Vince Vaughn gets a call where, like, oh, you used to donate sperm as, like, a teenager when you were strapped for cash. Now you have all of these children everywhere. What are you going to do with your life? Kind of thing. It was was bad. But needless to say, yeah, yeah, you're you're right, Dwayne. It's, it's silly. It's it's ridiculous. It, it's like, the, oh my gosh! And, and, and yet, and yet, they kind of pull it off. I mean, yep. it's an entertaining movie, but when you just when you lay out the premise, the way just kind of saying, yeah, he went around, you know, planting seeds. He's gonna reshape the planet, and he's procreating to get a bunch of kids to to use as batteries to try and help him do it. It's it just seems ego a bit... is right. 
Like yeah, it, ego is that is the word. Yeah, it's a very apropos name, ego. The thing that I thought was interesting was how one mo- like earlier in the scenes we had Quill and Ego playing catch. And then as the other people are rushing to try and get Quill away from his father, Ego lets it slip that he put the the tumor in his or in the brain of the of Quill's mother and was responsible for her death. And then instantaneously the he starts shooting Ego. Now, I've seen some criticism of that as there being too instantaneous. For me, I was I thought when I was in the film watching it, I um for me it was like, well, the first film that was a huge thread at the loss of his mother. In this film, we're two thirds of the way through the loss of his mother has played important parts in it. Not maybe not as much as the first. I, so I wasn't quite like jarred by that, but maybe other people were, but basically it, we, um, ego basically stabs quill with an energy bond. He ends up getting free. And the part of the plot is that they must now destroy the core of egos, um, sentience shall we say which is like the his existence his brain that's at the center of the planet and so they begin this plot which leads us to the scene where we get Groot with the bomb and rocket trying to teach him the which button he should or should not push and a lot of action and we also got pac-man and it was awesome Dwayne, what did you think of how we led up to the big fight on the inside the planet the the fight in the planet i mean it's it it is what 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 guardians is it it was a a visual spectacle but there was still so much comedic relief i mean the whole we've all seen it in the trailer the the death button don't push the death button baby Groot. which button do you push no not the death button i mean it's just it was it was great and then yeah i did had no idea the Kurt Russell and and uh, and Chris Pratt, you know, summoning like these parts of the of the planet together, and one of them creates this like Superman-looking thing, and the other creates a or Pratt creates a a Pac-Man because that was like his favorite game growing up, and it was just it was it was ludicrous, it was funny, it was but it was like a fun action sequence and then that's when rocket shows up and yandu and and everybody's there and it's just it's just craziness but but a lot of fun and then the and then the sovereigns show up as well so it's like everybody party time mantis gets her moment um she where they're they're all in danger of being snuffed out by uh ego but mantis puts him to sleep for a little bit of time Casey, what did you think of Manta, how they incorporated Mantis's skill? For the reason why I ask this is, if she ends up being a more permanent member of the of the team, my concern would be in future films that she always has to be a character that's rescued. So maybe this was a way that they were depicting how she might be able to um, fend on her own. But I felt in this film, and it's not necessarily a bad thing because she's new and introduced. I felt like if she sticks around, I really don't want to have her be the character that always has to be rescued. But what did you think of the fight scenes? What did you think of her in those scenes? What do you think? 
Uh, so I really enjoyed the fight scenes. I liked how Rocket, again, tinkered with the ship and got all of those lasers to clear out the Sovereigns, which I thought was just very spectacular. Great laser show, right? Um, in regards to Mantis putting him to sleep, um, I just kind of get drawn back to Drax, where he's like, I didn't think she could do it! And after he was like, I believe in you, uh, which is a very Drax thing to do. Um, I did enjoy that she did have something to to give, where it gave us a little bit of um, like a small breathing room to kind of move along a little bit of the story um, during the fight scene, like trying to get Groot time to, you know, get the bomb to the the center and, you know, give them time to work on just fighting the sovereign, um, that sort of thing. So I thought that was really good. Um, I mean, she ended up still having to be rescued because she gets hit and she gets knocked unconscious. So then it stops her, putting him to sleep which of course was going to happen we couldn't have just had it that easy right um something would have needed to happen to kind of stop that and so it was very comedic how it happened where then afterwards drax is like watch out and you know we all after laugh she's and, been knocked out yep, after she's been knocked out um so i thought that part was really good it kind of made her a little bit less um, just kind of in the way, you know, mm. um, but, uh, so that was good. And, uh, I really enjoyed the fight scenes. I, again, also like what Dwayne said and, and you said the Pac-Man part was perfect because it drew back to his previous conversation with Ego when they were inside the building where he was like, I can build whatever I want. I'm going to make some really weird shit. And, uh, so then it was really funny that, you know, that's exactly what he ended up doing. He stayed very true to his character. Um, and so that was really fitting. And I really enjoyed that. So, Dan, we get uh, Gamora and Nebula are on the ship. Drax has one of those packs like he's carrying Mantis and he has one of the little devices slapped on his back. And he starts like he goes, my nipples. And he goes into space back towards the ship to get them to safety. Rocket gives the devices to Yondu. And it, we, we come to this moment where Yondu, who started out in, as the villain in the first film, is now saving Quill after Quill has destroyed his father and knowing that he will give up being part celestial and living forever. And we got to see the dynamic of family isn't always who you're related to by blood. It can be just as much the person who raised you or plays an important role in your life. What did you think of those elements? I I really liked it. I, I thought Yondu's evolution as a character was grounded in aspects that we saw in the first film where he was very willing to work. Even though he kept threatening to eat Peter and stuff like that, it was rooted in like raising him from as a child and stuff and trying to kind of make up for the sins of all of the, the trafficking he was kind of culpable in. Uh, it, like it, it's really, it's really interesting that they made someone who was trafficking all of these different people across the galaxy to ego 
uh, vulnerable and kind of sympathetic. They did um, that in a couple different ways with uh, Nebula and him. I was like, boy, they figured out how to make villains sympathetic. Yeah, yeah, it's like it. It, it kind of goes back to like the idea that everyone's got a little bit of gray in them. I mean, even Rocket, who the 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 people who have the batteries are completely in the right for attacking them because their batteries were stolen. Like, but at the end of the day, we all like rocket because he's funny and he does all these cool things and he's a hero and all of the, but it, it's just like identifying different elements of this shade of gray. Um, but in terms of Yondu, I, his, his moment, uh, saving Peter. And I mean, the whole losing his immortality and stop becoming a God. We didn't know Peter was a God before the film and we didn't know he was immortal. Like I don't, I wasn't necessarily invested in that identity of him being a god or immortal and stuff. It was more just like an excuse to watch Chris Pratt freak out over like, oh, cool, I get to make this ball and I get to toss it. And oh my gosh, David Hasselhoff, this is so cool. This is my ideal situation. Like, so him losing that aspect of himself, I it, it didn't really matter to me. It was more about seeing uh, his relationship with Yondu kind of hit its apex and kind of defeating Ego as a whole and saving the galaxy once again, wrapping everything up in a neat little bow. Dwayne, what did you think of Star-Lord's choice and the fact that Yondu basically got became the hero of the film? Uh, I, I think I think that was a great a great uh, turn for the story. I, I like Dan said, I, I wasn't invested in in Star Lord being a, a, a god or or being, uh, you know, an immortal. And so it was it, it that wasn't anything. But I think the the thing that I noticed as the movie went on, I became more kind of uh, I, I liked rocket and i liked yondu more and more as the movie went on because they they were kind of together for a lot of the film and and so and and they both kind of recognized aspects of themselves in the other person and so it doesn't it, it it didn't surprise me that yondu wanted to be kind of the one that saved saved peter and and so it 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 did. It, it made me rather sympathetic to to him, even though we find out he was, you know, trafficking trafficking children for for slaughter. And that's yeah, exactly, and that's why he was uh, considered a an outcast from even the Ravengers now. And so I, I think it was fitting. I, I thought it was a nice kind of end, and and seeing kind of seeing the 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 funeral or wake after, after the events was, was, was nice. And I, and I think it actually kind of helped the Gamora Nebula thing as well. I, I didn't find that quite as jarring earlier in the film as, as Casey did, but it, again, they Gamora and Nebula had an interaction about trying to, con, 
you know, continue to be sisters and, and not be, you know, at each other's throats all the time. And it, it felt a little bit more kind of in place as part of or during or after the wake scene with Yondu than it than it did probably earlier in the film. So I, I liked I liked how all that kind of played out. Casey, I admit I choked up, I teared up in the theater when they they begin the cremation of Yandu's body, and then all I'm yeah, I'm getting chills talking about it now. And then all the Ravager ships show up in honor of him because earlier in the film, because of his um, transporting of these children, he had basically been blacklisted. And that's when we got to see Stallone ha- say that he was not worthy of being a Ravager. And we got to see him being shunned. And that led to what I believe it was, uh, was it Dwayne or Dan mentioned about how Rocket and Yondu basically, Yondu points out that he and Rocket were the exact same person in in their, their character development. And so when all the Ravagers show up for this funeral and you see them going through and each giving honor, and then they do the nod to the original Guardians of the Galaxy, because the ones that we know in the cinematic universe are not the same, The it, it's, it was really touching. I teared up. Did you choke up or were you like Stone Cold Casey? Well, um... If you don't tell anybody, I'll tell you. But uh, so I totally did get a little teary. Um, it, it was very touching. I found that it was very fitting that it was actually Rocket who had called. Uh, Rocket had sent out a message to all of the the Ravengers to let them know that Yondu had passed away, and um, which kind of cements that relationship that the two of them had built during their time together in this really in this last um, movie. Um, and so I, I did find it very, very touching. I'm a big fan of fireworks. So I really enjoyed that part. Um, and then I, and then just like when um, Quill was kind of giving his little speech about, um, you know, that he really was his, his dad, maybe not his father, but his dad and that he did raise him and that he did start to understand that, you know, the reason he like didn't send him off and the reason that he was nicer to him and gave him opportunities that other Ravengers in the clan wouldn't have gotten was because of his feelings towards him um, was really nice. Um, I did feel that they missed a very small point of um, um, comedic relief with Drax saying, see, I told you because earlier Remember, Jax had said, I thought Yondu was your father. And Quill makes this big thing, Yondu? What are you talking about? Da, da, da. He's and Drax blue, was, yeah. Right. Oh, a, and Drax I hadn't thought right. about that. That's a good point. And Drax was right all along. I mean, granted, not father, but um, but I really enjoyed that that sequence. And, and it was really nice um, to just kind of get that wrap up and a little bit of that emotion. Though I will say I am kind of sick of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies ending sad. The first one ended with him opening that package from his mom. Um, This one with Yondu passing away. Poor Quill just always gets the short end of the stick. And I really want the show to end not sad. (laughs) Just the the next next volume. I want it to just not be sad. 
maybe they made up for that in by providing us with five end of credit scenes and we're going to dive into those next um i, I had, think it's because he got the zune actually yeah he got the, he got the zune he also i mean we also get to see him in the, the teen credits where he's now playing the dad to teen Groot and telling him to clean up his room to me that was sort of the actual end for this film even though it might have been a jump in the future like continuity wise that's what i felt um we discovered that adam warlock who is a major character in the infinity gauntlet saga were he was introduced in the um in the post credits we got to see the watchers with stan lee which was wonderful we have the original guardians with Stackar and his, the original team they they show up and we get Craglin with the like learning how to control the arrow and he's wearing the fin. Dan, what was your favorite of the post credit scenes? I I kind of didn't like any of them. Like I I what? might be in the minority I I might be in the minority in this. But I was like, when I heard that they were doing five post credit scenes, I was like, all right, they're going to put it like they're going to tie the Guardians closer to the MCU and to Earth for, you know, all to kind of help set up Infinity War a little bit more. And it didn't happen. And so I was really disappointed by them. Okay. I guess that's a fair assessment. Dwayne, did you have a favorite or were you also disappointed like Dan? Uh, not, not disappointed. I, I, I mean, I liked all of them. The, I think it's, it's tough to decide which one I liked the best with regards to, I mean, Craglin trying to use the arrow and ultimately kind of impaling Drax with it was, it was obviously funny, but I don't know if you can call that any less or less funny than the, the teenage Groot. I mean, that though, both of those were really cute. I was not as familiar with Adam Warlock. And so I didn't immediately know who she was referring to when she said Adam in this like uh, cocoon, uh, mechanical cocoon thing during that sequence but uh, it sounds like in reading a little bit about him after after the movie because I was like who's this Adam guy uh, pretty excited about what he's going to potentially be in the in the Marvel Universe going forward but also Stanley I mean I, I I really like his cameos in these movies and having him be with with the watchers was was really interesting. See, and, and that's what made me wonder. Their dynamic was like, has he been a watcher the whole time and he's that, like the bat, the black sheep watcher, which is why they're all walking away from him. Well, I love the idea that Stan Lee could be a watcher for all these films. Well, the 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 guy the head of the the Marvel Marvel uh, studios w even made an offhand comment, apparently saying that you know that wasn't completely far fetched that that Stanley's character in all these movies could have been the same person, and so, I, I yeah, he, and it just gives me probably, chills. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like well, I hadn't even considered that, and that's that's huge. Casey. Did you did you enjoy all them, or did you have a favorite, or were you also disappointed? Uh, baby Groot. Well, teenage Teen Groot. Groot. Teen Groot. Uh, loved that. Um, I'm like, 
Man, that's like me as a teenager. Like, I just want to play my video games and not clean my room ever. Um, I was like, he's going through puberty and there's a mountain of leaves. Is this supposed to be dirty clothes or something else? I'd say dirty clothes. Uh, we're going to keep it PG-13, Luke. I mean, okay. you've already you've already draxed this up enough with uh-huh. inappropriate conversation. So uh-huh. um, <laughs> I really like that episode or that that part of the the ending credits um and then that uh um quill went ahead and gave a call back to to yondu saying now i know who how yondu felt because this is how quill would have been growing up on a ship as a teenager um and so i i did find that very funny um i i also did not know who adam warlock was um, the Watchers, I didn't know who they were um, until afterwards. Obviously, I knew who Stanley was. Um, I did enjoy the part with Craglin and the Arrow. Um, he really needs to work on his whistling. I do wonder if uh, Yondu, um, if Michael Rooker did the whistling for the whole time. I wasn't able to find anything on that. I wonder if he was doing the actual whistling because it was pretty good whistling. Um and so, yeah, I liked them all. I didn't also know about the original Guardians, but I think that they were all there during the tribute. Um, I think they were all on their ships because we go to each of the different ships and they okay. did the like chest chest bump, thump, whatever uh, thing. <laughs> so I think they had all. Oh yeah, you're right. The they, you're right. They were all there, and then at the end, they they it, in the post credits, it was basically him talking about a new mission. I believe getting okay. together and stealing some shit. That's yeah. And I really need to see that film. Like I need Stallone in a MCU movie. I really, he, I need it. it. I don't know if we're going to get a full movie, but I would love to see, see him sprinkled through the future movies where the guardians of the galaxy are involved. I think that would be great. It was seeing Stallone. I didn't realize he was in the movie. So then when I saw his name during the credits, I'm like, Oh my goodness, how is this going to happen? And, 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 and yeah, I just really liked, he was used very sparingly in the film, but it was just perfect. And then, and then that closing scene, I'm just like, yeah, I want to see more of Stallone in the Marvel universe now. So this brings us to two big questions. First, where does this film rank for you um, amongst the MCU films? And by that, I'm just talking about the Disney Marvel ones. We're not talking about the um, the, Guardi- uh, the X-Men films or the Wolverine films or Fantastic Four, since those are all over at Fox, and the Spider-Man films, which are at Sony. So just the Disney Marvel films. Where does this rank for you? Um, and what out of five stars, what do you give it? Dan, how about you go first? Uh, well, I'm kind of at a disadvantage because I the first Marvel film I actually saw was The Avengers. Um, yeah, no, I, I kind of came into the, the whole thing late. But uh, I would say that this is like a like a solid number two. Um, OK, what's your number one? Civil, then? Civil War. OK, I mean, that that was just that was such a, a complex but also fun film. Um, but Guardians 2, I I gotta give it two thumbs up. Okay. It's good stuff. Five stars? I would say four and a half. Okay. I'll go four and a half. Yeah. Dwayne, where does this rank for you among the Marvel films? And out of uh, five stars, what do you give it? 
so it, so we've got what 15 movies or so we've got right now iron man it, the incredible hulk uh yeah no, iron i'm, look, I'm okay. looking at the I, i'm looking at the list here there's something like 15 movies i it's probably not in my top five. Okay. I think I, I think I liked all of the Iron Man movies better than this. I liked uh, the probably both the Avenger movies, and I and obviously I liked the first Guardians of the Galaxy a little bit more than this one. So it's probably right in the middle there. Okay. So there's the but it's still it's it's entertaining and it and it was enjoyable and fun to watch and. I think it was a good story to continue continue that that franchise. I, I'm still looking forward to. I'm definitely looking forward to the next time we see the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be in a in kind of a a movie, uh, an Avengers movie, or if they're going to be in in if the next movie is going to be a guardians movie i think it's i think they're going to be in an avengers movie before they're going to be avengers affinity war is in 2018 so um i would have to look up how they're if how or if they're incorporated into that i would assume yeah. that they're going to be just because of the infinity stones but i would have to right. double check that uh so out of four five stars i probably would give it like three and a half i i would have get i i would give like the first first one a a four or a little bit more and so this one is 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 like three and a half okay. still very fun if you like marvel movies you would not go wrong seeing this film casey uh where does it rank for you and what's out of five stars what do you give it so this one is probably coming in around uh number five um the Iron Man, Avengers, Doctor Strange, Guardians 1, Guardians 2. Um, I will say that I have not seen all of the Marvel Disney ones. Uh, we haven't seen, I haven't seen the Thor movies. Um, and I think I've missed a couple of the Captain America ones as well. So, you know, when you haven't seen some of them, you know, you maybe changes that up a little bit. Um, but I, I really, I really did enjoy this. Um but I still did like the first one a little bit more. Um, if something's in my top five, I'm very easy with stars. Five. Okay. Five. Uh, because okay. if you're in my top five, if you're not, you know, I really feel like, would I tell people to go see this? Absolutely. Would I watch it again? Absolutely. Will, I mean, obviously I'm on a podcast talking about it more in depth than I've probably talked about most movies I've seen. So I will say top fives it's five stars for now okay so. <laughs> um it's also comes in at number five for me maybe i'm spoiling a podcast that we could potentially do for a top five episode but iron man would be number one for me guardians of the galaxy volume one wouldn't be number two doctor strange would be number three captain america uh civil war would be number four and this comes in at number five before we wrap this podcast up i want to cover two things real quick because we won't have a chance to discuss one of them for later but the Defenders, Marvel's um, street heroes. We got the first official trailer featuring Luke Cage, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist. Which, if you haven't watched Iron Fist on t on Netflix, just ignore it and wait till you get to the Defenders. Dan, <laughs> you tweeted me this lake very excited, so I'll go to you first on this. What did you think? I am so excited for this. Like... 
I can't believe we're at a point with these Netflix shows that they're all just going to converge and just be awesome. I'm so pumped to see their interactions, establish the dynamics. I'm excited to see Jessica interact with all of these different characters because I think her personality reacting to other people is just the best thing. Like, she she doesn't have time for anyone, so if anyone can get her to open up even, like, a smidge, I would be there for that. I would be there to see, like, and not only, like, the main characters, but also, like, the side characters. Like, in the trailer, we got to see Misty. Uh, Cl- we know Claire's going to be there. We know Stick's going to be there. Uh, you know, there are so many different side characters. Foggy. Jerry, the it's gonna be fantastic. Sigourney Weaver is just gonna be a, like so good as the main villain. I've I'm been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, you know, having Electra come back and having it tie into um, what we already know with Iron Fist in terms of immortality and the consequences with um, the Yakuza and stuff like that. It, it's going to be great. I'm so excited. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm ready for August to get here already. Okay. Dwayne, what'd you think? The, the trailer makes it look a lot of fun. I, I, of these characters, I, I really liked the, the daredevil series quite a bit. And I, I would tell you, I, I hope they can find a way to get Vince D'Onofrio in this as well, because him being the villain in kind of the first two uh, seasons of Daredevil was just great. And one of the reasons I think I liked the Daredevil series on Netflix so much. But Jessica Jones is great. I I like Luke Cage as well. And I I tell I will tell you, I have not watched Iron Fist yet. Because Trust me when I say like, you do not need to watch yeah, it. Yeah, it, it does. It does seem like that is uh, kind of the consensus that that is not not the best series. But I, I definitely think that this is something I want to see and, and, and I'm eagerly waiting to see how how how, you know, how people react to those episodes, because it, it, it looks like it could be really good. And, and so I'm looking forward to it. Casey, what are your thoughts? I really enjoyed the trailer. I am mostly excited for the interaction between Jessica Jones and Daredevil. Um, I love Charlie Cox. I love his character. I think he's just adorable. And she's just this really rough around the edges bad girl. And I think that the two of them interacting is going to be fantastic. Um, I... In Daredevil, I found Elektra to be very obnoxious, so I hope that when they bring her back for this, that it's a little bit less so. Um, also, haven't seen Iron Fist. Um, if Mage hasn't seen it, or if D hasn't seen it, I haven't seen it. Um, I am interested to see Luke Cage and kind of what he brings to bringing, you know, that kind of just somber kind of this is the way it goes he's not really a guy that you can like he's a uh, human tank yeah yeah he's just kind of this is the way it is there's not a lot of going back and forth with him which i found to be 
enjoyable watching him and Jessica Jones interact. Um, but uh, so I'm really excited. I I'm excited for to, for to have another TV show to binge watch. And uh, yeah. If you haven't watched Luke Cage, my recommendation would be it has amazing cinematography. Like it is a beautiful show. I mean, just outright beautiful. It is a little bit slow getting started. Some people had trouble with it. Unlike Iron Fist, which is just off the rails bad and starts out slow on top of it. The Luke Cage. A, a ringing me, endorsement for a series if I've ever heard one. <laughs> when, when I tell you to ignore Iron Fist, I would. Because if you want to have your first introduction be to Danny Rand, have it be in the Defenders where he's part of a group and not having to carry the whole thing by himself. Because in... in in Iron Fist, he is totally inadequate, and the only thing that makes that show watchable is the supporting cast who has to do the heavy lifting. It's that bad. But for me, what I'm looking forward to, the Defenders, I want to see Danny Rand with Luke Cage, because in the comics, those two characters are best friends, so I want to see if Luke Cage can salvage the Danny Rand character. Dan... I was going through the IMD cast list. Madam Gao is nowhere in the cast list for the Defenders, so I'm a little bit upset about that. I I would imagine you being upset about that. I personally am very upset that this is only eight episodes. I am not, because if if Iron Fist had only been eight episodes, it might have been better. Um, I... the, the other thing that I think is good is Elektra. I agree with Casey in terms of the, her characterization, but Elektra's just been one of those female Marvel characters that I've always liked. I like I bought her like I read her comic line for a while, and I all, whenever she and Daredevil had an episode like an issue when I was buying those, I would pick it up because I'm always interested in that dynamic. So I was very happy to see her in season two, but I have problems with season two about how it was constructed and the way it was done that I think that that character was partly a victim of. So we'll see how this goes. I'm hoping that she's uh, has a better role in the defenders. What were you going to say, Dan? I, I apologize. Oh, no worries. I just want as many interactions with this ensemble as humanly possible. Um, and like, they could they could sit around and eat at the uh, the restaurant that Luke ends up saving for five episodes and just talk to one another and I think that'd be hilarious and I would watch the heck out of that show that like the interactions of the characters from so like just so many different parts of like the Netflix Marvel shows is just so fascinating to me and seeing it all kind of mesh together and seeing how it shakes out is what I'm there for. You know, the plot, like the superhero aspect is kind of secondary at that point because we just want to see, um, we want to see Charlie Cox being a smooth talker and we want to see, like, Jessica Jones being this, like, just badass, like, I'm, I'm going to take a swig and then I'm going to punch this guy in the face. And it's, it's really interesting when all of the, like, and um, the movies do this all the time where, like, 
okay, so we're going to introduce a new element. Uh, Ant-Man's going to show up in Civil War. Let's see how Ant-Man reacts to everyone else. Marvel does this very, very well. DC, not so much. Well, except on TV, then DC's pretty good with it. But yeah, no, I'm excited. Dan, I want to talk about one more thing before we wrap this podcast up. You are really excited for American Gods. I want yes. your quick take. I want your quick take on the season premiere. The the season premiere I thought was very very good, but I thought it was rooted heavily in the book. Very heavily rooted in the book. Um, I was very concerned that um, viewers would not be able to get a lot of the references that were being put out there or any of the sort of visual metaphors because there's a lot of visual metaphors that are part of a larger story um with american gods and with the what they're trying to set up with the the gods of old yore and like modern gods which are like you know technology and media like that that kind of element is starting to form but i don't know i really liked it but i don't think they did a necessarily great job at illustrating it if you haven't read the book and see this was my thing about it um it's stunning and i mean the cinematography in it is almost i mean it's stunning ricky whittle is really good in it and his dynamic with ian mcshane fantastic but I got done watching the the pilot and I was like, okay, this is beautiful. This is stunning. I like a lot of these characters, but where is this going? And then I read an, an article about how the author, uh, Neil Gaiman, was like, yeah, people who aren't smart viewers aren't going to get this series. And I'm like, oh, and I'm paraphrasing there, but he basically implied that you had to be pretty smart to watch the show. And I'm like, okay, um, I'm, I don't consider myself a stupid viewer and I'm usually on board for complicated shows. I mean, you look at lost and you look at various other shows where you really have to pay attention to what you're watching to follow it. But uh, with a lot of those other shows, you get a sense in the pilot of what the story arc is supposed to be and in this one, I didn't really get where this show is supposed to go. I get that we may be on a road trip, and I get that Shadow Moon is going to be working for Mr. Wednesday. But the purpose of this series is missing. It Like, it's a little bit... And they, they didn't do a good job of establishing this with the scenes with Mad Sweeney. But they're trying to establish a kind of RPG-esque element where you kind of are collecting characters as you go along because it's setting up a bigger conflict that was hinted at when, when Shadow gets abducted. So it's basically going to be old gods versus new gods is what it's coming yes. down to. But they don't really establish that in the pilot. They basically have the new, I don't remember the character's name, but the technology gods show up and beat the crap out of him. We get a sense that there's supposed to be a rivalry with him and Mr. Wednesday, but there's nothing really beyond that. And the way the episode ends doesn't help. 
I just if they would have done a little bit of a better job explaining like what or indicating or giving a hint at what the arc is supposed to be, mm-hmm. I would have been totally on board. But I just left wondering, it's like, where am I going with this? Why should I invest? I like Shadow Moon and I like Mr. Wednesday, but what is what am I investing in the story? If you're going to make that a mystery, I'm OK with that. But give me something to hold on to to bridge the episodes. And there was nothing there. I think they tried to establish some of the elements of that. Um, I'm quickly looking up a name right now of this character. Um, basically, the the woman that um, met someone online. Oh, yeah. You mean the god who basically, yeah. Ate a man um, with vagina. It, yeah. Yes. It, it, and that's directly taken from the book. Um, and the what they're trying to illustrate is she used technology to prop herself up. Like she, to sustain she, her. She's using technology to as a way to sustain herself in an old god form. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And and that that's what they were trying to illustrate. I don't necessarily think... I don't think they conveyed it. If that's what they were trying to do, they didn't do it well. Yeah, exactly. It, because when you watch it, you're just... It's shock value. But then when you start thinking about it and breaking it down, like that only there it makes sense. Otherwise, it's just kind of like, ah, uh, this, this is happening. I will only say one more thing as we wrap this up. Pablo Schreiber, the stuff that he is in, he is such a, an amazing character actor. I mean, every, watched him in various movies. I actually saw him in stage um, off-Broadway in a play. He was really good in that, too. I didn't recognize him in this as a red-headed Irish god. Mad Sweeney did not get that. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe, like, because I haven't read the books, maybe Mad Sweeney isn't a god, but he's supposed to be something Irish-related. Did not recognize him, but it was, I went back and it's like, I wonder when Pablo's going to show up. But I was like, wait, that's him. Final thoughts on this episode, Casey? Any final thoughts about Guardians of the Galaxy? If you haven't seen it, go see it. It was okay. great. It was enjoyable. It was a great fun ride. Um, it was a great cast with a lot of laughs. Um, after we got home and we're sitting around chit-chatting about it, I told Dwayne that I'm like, I think I laughed harder than most of the people in there and a lot louder. Um, so it was just really fun. It was just, you know, go see it with a nice big group of people. Make sure you don't go where it's just like one person in there. Cause I really feel like going and seeing this kind of movie with the humor, um, where you're in a big um, theater with lots of people is just really fun. See, so basically you were the Drax of the theater. Is that it? Totes. Okay. Completely. Absolutely. See, I'm, I'm the exact Stone opposite. Cold say Casey was uh, Drax in the theater. <laughs> there you go. I See, I'm the total opposite with movie theaters. Like, I'm always willing to laugh when there's lots of people, but I love nothing more than going into a completely empty theater being able to sit in the very center of the theater and watch a film and laugh at whatever the hell I want, no matter how stupid it is with no one being around me. Um, where can they, before I move on, where can they find you on Twitter? 
Uh, they can find me on Twitter at C-K-E-C-K-H-O-L-M, which is C-K Eckholm. Okay. Um, I'm on Twitter. You can find out a lot about my video game stuff and my cats. Dwayne, final thoughts, and where can they find you on Twitter and Twitch? Great. It's a good movie. I don't think it was as good as the first one, but that was a pretty high bar to clear. It's still worth seeing. I don't know if you necessarily need to see it in the theater, though you are in for a treat if you see it in the theater because it's, it is a, a very visual spectacle. So definitely worth watching. And, uh, you know, I it, I can't wait for it. It just keep, keeps the line moving of really great Marvel Cinema Universe movies that uh, are definitely a, a box office boon. Okay. And, um, and can, where can they find you? They they can find me on on Twitter at, at Majadeth, M-A-G-E-A-D-E-A-T-H. And then that is and I'm on Twitch as well, twitch.tv slash Majadeth. That's my 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 uh, character name in World of Warcraft, and that's so that's how I'm known online. That's my online persona. Um, I, it, I was, I recommended your, uh, Twitch, f uh, feed to a friend who's into, um, Hearthstone as well. And I said, yeah, it's Mage of Death and it's twitch.com slash Mage of Death. And he looks up, he goes, that's not it. And I was like, nope, I have to, I had to go back to your Twitter file and I was like, oh, it's Mage A Death. Yes. Okay. It, it's, it's, it's Mega Death, like the band Mega Death, but it was uh, with the mage pun in there as well. Okay. Because, you know, I'm that clever. Okay. <laughs> Listen. And metal, I, apparently. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you I have to say, Dwayne, I would have never picked you, pictured I, you as a metal person. So it, I'm not, not even in the slightest, but I was trying to come up with uh, uh, a name and that I decided i wanted to be uh have it kind of with a pun sort of theme and uh the the friend of mine that i was discussing names with he he suggested uh coming up with like an 80s hair band or using an 80s hair band as 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 a reference point or a starting point and uh major death was born but yes every time i've been on the podcast you always call me mage of death and like that's not quite right but hopefully they can well, find feel it. free to correct me but i was like <laughs> i like i don't like when you're seeing reading it on twitter when you're reading it on twitter it's just mage of death but then you realize as you're pronouncing it it's not like the a and the of can blend into each other very easily or yes. maybe they can't dan might know since he was an english major whether or not that's possible what was your final thoughts dan um, my final thoughts, uh, Guardians was great, American Gods, I really liked it because it was a lot of the book, but I understand that if you didn't read the book, it didn't do that great of a job of establishing things. Uh, I'm really enjoying, you know, looking forward to The Defenders, and currently geeking out on Hulu's uh, Season 2 of Attack on Titan. Attack Super on excited. Titan? I haven't watched that one. Oh, it's so good. So good. Uh, highly recommend it. That's some good uh, geeking out material. The first season's already up there. Uh, the new episodes for season two debut every Saturday on Hulu, uh, VRV, and Crunchyroll. Have you tried The Handmaiden's Tale? I've heard that it's just amazing to watch, but it can be difficult to watch. 
Yeah, I hear it's, like, a very emotionally draining uh, show, which is, like, this weird juxtaposition of Hulu having The Handmaid's Tale, an emotionally draining show, and Netflix having 13 Reasons Why, an emotionally draining show, and then The CW just playing with my emotions with Riverdale. It's just a whole other thing. It, I have it, to watch that episode. I've heard it's a, a something, the most recent one. Oh my! Since it God. was my birthday, I haven't watched much TV this weekend. I've been doing other things. Oh my gosh, you're gonna love Arrow so much. Arrow? What does that have to do with Riverdale? Well, okay. no, I'm just I'm I'm saying if you haven't watched oh. television this week, this is this is your week for Arrow. Well, I will take you at your word. As always, you can find us at Geek uh, at GK Confidential on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash GK Confidential. You can find me at Luke underscore Kerr. Comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Later. Bye.